From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 340. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace, LinkedIn Jobs, and Literati Kids. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snow. Hello, Jason Snow. Hello, Michael Hurley. I have a hashtag Snow Talk question from you, for you from Ryan. Is it from me? It's from Jason to Ryan. Uh, no, that's not. Ryan. When can I turn the tables and we can do Mike Talk? Or, or, or sorry, Hurley Talk. Hashtag Hurley Talk. Whenever you want. You know, okay. we can do it whenever you want. All right, I'll this, think about this it. This question comes from Ryan, and Ryan says, what apps do you run in your menu bar? What does that mean? Well, when you look up in your menu bar. Yes. Which I, I don't know if you know this, but the menu bar is uh, is at the top of the Macintosh screen. Oh, like the Macintosh. The yes, Macintosh, the Macintosh yeah. operating system. The Macintosh operating system. It has a thing on the top right-hand side, and it's, uh, that's where like little apps, little app icons show uh, in the menu bar. What's up there? Are they apps? Are they all apps up there though? That's what confuses me about this. Is what what's what apps are in mm. my See, I think some of them are, right? Because I have some right. that run with the apps closed. Is the clock an app? If I click on it, I get the uh the notification center. Yeah, I think people don't care that you have the clock there, right? Because everyone knows you got the clock there. I think what people are looking for is like what are the third party applications that Jason Snell deems important enough to give that permanent real estate? Okay, well, I've got the control center. Again, not allowed to not have it. Um, next to that, I have uh, the PCALC widget. Very good widget. It's, a, it's new mm-hmm. from PCALC. Mm-hmm. It's a widget. It lives in your menu bar, so you don't have to launch that whole giant, enormous, complicated PCALC app mm-hmm. and instead can just use it in the menu bar. Mm-hmm. It's otherwise pretty much exactly the same. Um, I have an app that I wrote about recently on Six Colors called Home Control. It's up there. That is an app. That lets me uh, change like HomeKit things with keyboard shortcuts on my Mac. Right. So like I can turn on the, the floor lamp in my office with a like Control Escape or something like that, and it just turns on. It's pretty great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have Fantastical. Which is telling me that I have a Zoom meeting right now. Oh, that's with me. <laughs> that's this one. Uh, I have a bunch of widgets from SwiftBar, which is the app that I've written about that lets you put little scripts in your menu bar. So those individual items aren't apps; they're little scripts I wrote, plugin scripts I wrote for SwiftBar. So I've got like the air quality outside, you know, at my in my neighborhood, and I've got the current temperature, and I've got how many people are listening on the live stream right now. I've got all those in there. Mm-hmm. And then I use Bartender, so that's all that's visible by default. And then hidden away to the left, if I move my mouse over there, is some other stuff. Dropbox, Time Machine, um, Downlink, which is the app that puts my puts the satellite picture on my desktop. Um, Keyboard Maestro is over there, and uh, that's about it. Very nice. It's a good collection. So some of those similar, are apps, actually. Uh, yeah. Well, everything before the uh, bartender fold, as they call it. Sure. The only thing I have one password there. Um, I also have Alfred in there, and I don't know why that is in there. Like why I have it on the top part. So yeah. I'm now moving it to the uh, the hidden part in bartender. Yeah. There you go. And there's a lot of junk in the hidden area. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. There. There's a lot of stuff all... that I just generally don't need to see, don't want to see. Not interested. Yeah, Bartender is a indispensable uh, 
application because there's just stuff that I really wished wasn't in a menu bar and I can't get rid of it. But uh, Bartender will let you do it. If you would like to be like Ryan and help us open a future episode of the show, just send in a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk and it may be considered. Or you can use question mark SnellTalk in the Relay FM members Discord. Uh, follow up. People should go and check out follow up. episode 143 of Liftoff, which features an interview with Ron Moore, the creator of For All Mankind, with Jason Snell and Stephen Hackett. I have listened to yeah. all of it up until the spoiler part because I actually haven't been able to watch the first episode of For All Mankind uh. yet. So I'm waiting for that. But it was very good, uh, very good interview, uh, very interesting. Good. I could tell Thank how you. excited you were in it, which was fun for me. Mm-hmm. I'll try to get my excitement there without without asking him detailed questions about you know, Klingons or Cylons or <laughs> you're going to start bringing Scottish up all of people the, um, or any other thing that he's done on television. Yeah, all of the inconsistencies in each episode. You know, yeah. In episode seventeen of series three of Star Trek Discovery, no, that, that's, that's not where it ends for me. That's where it ends for me. A, that was as close as I could have gotten. Yeah. No. Yeah, what? Like, what was it? What did I do wrong? In there? In, uh, in in season five of the Next Generation, you indicate that Worf oh. is uh, going to inherit his uh, family's Klingon titles, but then in in season six, you suggest that he has no claim to his family lands uh, back on Kronos, the Klingon homeworld. How do you explain this inconsistency, Ronald D. Moore? Hmm? Is this an actual inconsistency that you know? No, that's. I mean, right. it, there's probably something like that. I mean, that's that's the. Those are your kind of uh, comic book guy, uh, Star Trek nerd questions that you would get asked in, right? And and be like, dude, I wrote that script in 1991, and that was a long time ago. That's. I was listening to um, the Flop House this weekend, and they were talking. It was a, it was one from a few weeks back about uh, the etiquette of meeting somebody who is or working with somebody who is in a bad movie. They were talking to the guy who is the showrunner of Brockmire, which is a very good uh, TV comedy that I liked a lot. And he was talking about how in Brockmire, he was working with Amanda Peet, who is in, oh, uh, Studio 60 uh, on the Sunset Strip. Mm-hmm. And he asked her a question about it, uh, sort of like embedded in it being that it's bad. Mm-hmm. And she was uh, not aware that it was considered bad. Mm. <laughs> uh, not, not really interested in hearing that it was bad because she had such a good professional experience doing it and the point of it was like what's the etiquette of of talking to people about bad movies and 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 i enjoyed the fact that the larger point of it is if you're an actor or even a writer it was a job and they paid you and you're going to evaluate it as like oh i had that job for a year it was a good job in her case it was i got pregnant while doing the job and they they really treated me well and and they were very professional about it and like all these things that are about your job, not about the end product uh, that everybody else knows about. And I was thinking about that in the context of Ron Moore. It's the the every science fiction convention is like, here's somebody who worked on uh, an episode of Star Trek 50 years ago for literally for seven days. Um, and 50 years ago, they're asked questions about what it was like. It's like, do you remember? a week you spent on a on a temp job in 1967 <laughs> like probably not <laughs> probably not i can't imagine what it is like to be in those environments and have to answer no. those types of questions like at, con- no. at conventions and stuff 
Anyway, Ron Moore, Ron Moore grew up as a huge fan of the original Star Trek and then ended up writing for Star Trek, uh, what, Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. So he gets it. He, he understands fandom. Um, but I read an interview. I didn't ask him about Star Trek, but I read an interview when he was making the rounds last week where somebody asked him about if he'd seen any of the modern Star Treks. And he was like, no, <laughs> basically I'm real busy, but also I'm, you know, putting, you know, he's, he's trying to think about the stuff that he's doing. And, and like he says, I'm, I'm doing science fiction shows like for all mankind. I do not have the brain power to, when I'm, when I'm doing something for pleasure, it's going to not be science fiction. Right. Cause he's working in the, that's like the business right now. So I thought that was funny. Also allows him to not insult. Like if he says, "Yeah, I didn't like it." Like, yeah. I mean, he's a working producer. Better to, better to not comment. Best not. He maybe about has the him. other Who stuff. Knows? Uh, but it Who was the, the, a lot of the conversation that uh, you and Stephen had with Ron uh, before you start talking about season two is kind of how he goes about making the parallel world of For All Mankind match up with the accurate world or anchor right. with the accurate world. And it was fascinating to hear his thought process, but also his excitement about space stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I just thought it was really cool. It was a very fun in- yeah. interview. And he just sounded he's- like a regular go- a dude, right? Like he just sounded like a yeah. nice guy. Like the- So I can imagine it was a nice experience getting to talk to him too. Yeah, it was. He- he's not much older than I am. Um, he's a little bit older, but not much older than I am. And so he had a lot of the same experiences I did where you kind of missed the Apollo moon landing era, but you had the Skylab and, and space shuttle era. And you can, given given that you can see why he sort of said, it would be fun to tell the story of what happened if we all, you know, we kind of kept going and kept pushing it instead of what really happened, which is that it all just kind of slowed down and, and ground to a halt, which is, you know, unfortunately the legacy of that era. I found it kind of interesting that and then when he was talking about that, you could hear like a, like a twinge of sadness to it. Yeah. Like the, and, and I can see now I can see like, Oh, one of the reasons he made this show is because he wanted the space like exploration to continue so he's just made a world in which it did exactly that's kind of fun so that's episode 143 of liftoff here on relay fm there'll be a link in the show notes uh but you should go check it out and also if people are really liking for all mankind season two dan morin and i are doing a weekly uh, podcast over on the incomparable uh episode by episode uh, and oh, those nice. are dropping on the on the Fridays when the episodes come out. So what's the name do of all the ten the show? It's it's not it doesn't really have a name. It's just oh. in the TV podcast feed. Oh, okay. So it's it's the for all mankind. So if you know you can go there and you'll see uh, if you go to theincomparable.com, you'll see the for all mankind as one of the tiles of one of the episodes, and you can just click on it. And there's you can subscribe to directly to the for all mankind feed if you want to. Okay. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll put something. <laughs> In the show, that's funny. Oh, yeah, I know. I can. I can. Uh, I can do that. Yeah. It's it's theincomparable.com slash t e e v e e slash mankind. Mankind. All right. That will be in mm. the show notes. Not the wrestler, Mike. Not the wrestler, McFoley. See, wrestling knowledge. Last week, thank you. Last week, sort of. Uh, you made a reference to. I don't even remember how this happened. We were talking about Nintendo. And how oh, uh, people yeah. say, well, maybe Apple's gaming strategy can be like Nintendo. And you're like, mm, Apple is not Nintendo. And I said, no, it's not. Because they have no characters. Including, mm-hmm. in, for many reasons, including that they don't have a, a you know decades of beloved gaming intellectual property. And I tried to imagine what that would even be. Mm-hmm. And the best I could come up with was the adventures of Dog Cow and Spinning Rainbow Cursor in Finderland. 
And then probably within 20 minutes of the episode publishing, Justin Hamilton created a browser-based game called The Adventures of Dog Cow and Spinning Rainbow Cursor in Final Land. Unbelievable. It's yeah. a, a, a silly little Mario-esque type game. Yeah, it's the, the ground is the is the Aqua Scroll Bar from mm-hmm. early OS X, and mm-hmm. then the platforms are little Aqua Scroll Bars too, and you're a you're a dog cow, but there's a, your friend, the little spinning rainbow cursor, is right above you, and it fires off like... Uh, bolts to attack the Windows logos that are coming at you, and you want to collect a lot of G3 IMAX. So obviously, that mm-hmm. clearly. How else would you make it? It's incredible. I'll be linking the show notes. Go check it out, Justin. That would have been a, a hit Flash game in in 2005. Let's talk about some upstream stuff. Apple's got a bunch of things going on. So Apple and Skydance are going to be partnering on a multi-year film and TV deal. So this deal uh, brings with it the movies Luck and Spellbound, which were both uh, set for the theater, but that was obviously changed. And the beginning of and my understanding from a report and deadline is that this report, uh, sorry, this this deal started the process of what would eventually become this overall deal uh, mm. with Skydance to work with Apple on multiple projects. Um, going forward, these will be uh, exclusive to Apple. Obviously, not everything Skydance does, but they will be things that are exclusive to them. You know, they're not like, hey, do you want this movie we made? Uh, there's a TV series that they're working on called The Search for Wandler, which is based on a book. Um, John Lasseter is going to serve as producer on all films and shows under this deal. Now, we had spoken about this previously because it was rumored that they might be working together uh, when these two films were being shopped to Apple, and that there might be something going on, and we'd brought up, uh, we brought up at the time that uh, this could be of concern to people because John Lasseter has a checkered past with sexual misconduct while at Disney and Pixar, and we were wondering how would this be dealt with, and the way it's been dealt with is that he's going to be a producer and executive producer on the product on all the projects. Yep. Um, if you want to check out a longer conversation about this, uh, we spoke about it a little bit in episode 331. There are going to be lots of people with lots of very valid and upset opinions about this, I'm sure. Uh, it's mm-hmm. an intriguing thing that they're going into, but this is the way it's going to be. Like John Lasseter is high up at Skydance, and Apple's made the deal with them, and he's going to have his hands in everything. We talked this whole issue through in 331, mm-hmm. so people should check that out if they would like, if they did not hear us talk about it. The Apple TV app is now available on Chromecast. This landed just in time for For All Mankind. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was previously announced in December. We did touch on it, uh, but now it is available as of last week. Um, it works via Google TV, which I didn't know about until today when I started looking into this for the show. Google TV is basically the Apple TV app, but on Chromecast. So Google have created an app which collects together content from companies and shows you them like all in one view right and all of your other chromecast apps and services can plug into it and google tv acts as a kind of front for it um so that you know this is a a little thing that they have uh google has had many 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 uh television based things Right, so oh they did my like, God. and this is, and that the way that they're doing it now is just to bundle it into Chromecast, which is probably good because people like Chromecasts right. and people haven't liked right. any of Google's other things. 
Right. So you need Chromecast with Google TV, and then inside there will be an Apple TV. It's like a little nesting dolls. Mm-hmm. But if you, you can get the Chromecast, and the Chromecast, my understanding, is much more uh, widely available than a lot of other alternatives to Apple TV hardware. So um, it it should be more available in some countries where yeah. they don't have alternatives. Um, and yeah, and in fact, even I think Apple TV channels is available. So like yes. the nesting dolls continue, right? You've got Chromecast with Google TV, with Apple TV, with Apple TV channels. If you really want to keep going down the stack, that is available to you. Apparently. Um, it's interesting. It's like $50, the Chromecast with Google TV. And it does 4K, does HDR, Dolby Vision. You know, this is like a $50 way to get into the best way that you can watch this content now produces. Like, you know, it's just like, this is what the Apple TV does, 4K of HDR, Dolby Vision. So, you know, just to refer back to what we were talking about a week or two ago, uh, it makes, again, the case for the Apple TV difficult. You get a remote with buttons on it. Uh, you know, it's like a whole thing. Imagine. <laughs> Woo. Fancy. Uh, Apple also had a big day. They unveiled their 2021 content slate as part of the Television Critics Association Winter Press Tour. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, Apple's kind of press release, but there was a lot that they announced. Um, Lots of new shows and movies. Some we knew about, some we didn't. Uh, Some featuring more information than we knew, some featuring more casts than we knew. There's too much to go through, honestly. Uh, There's a lot of A-list names um, as part of this whole slate of programming. Uh, I think one of the things that was most interesting to me and to others is some teasers of the Foundation series, um, which is, I think, probably going to be their next like top tier show. Um, you know, if you look at like C and Morning Show and For All yeah, Mankind, seems like they're they're definitely uh, starting the hype for Foundation. Yeah, uh, early. But there was some fun then, little yeah. details that come out. So Mythic Quest is back on May seventh, which I'm excited about. I was surprised mm-hmm. that it's that it was kind of like we didn't know anything, and then it's like two months away. Uh, Ted Lasso season two is going to be in the summer. Also very pleased mm-hmm. about that. And the morning show is returning in the summer. Now that is way later than they expected, right? Like you can, I mean, we've spoken about this before, but that it was impacted by COVID stuff and they went and rewrote a lot of stuff. And now it's coming in the summer. Like this, I think morning show was supposed to be out by now, you would expect, right? Right. Um, so moving it all the way to the summer, I think, is an effect of them going back and, and redoing some of the show. But I'm pleased for that. It would be more relevant again. So uh, I'm excited. I'm excited about it. I, I really enjoyed the morning show. So I'm looking forward to more. Yeah, we're in an interesting period where content is starting to roll out that is was made during the pandemic. And like during either like light parts of the pandemic or you know like last summer and fall and like it's interesting now because you're like well is this a pre-pandemic thing or is this a is this a during pandemic thing (laughs) like uh it's fascinating to see because it's getting hard to tell right and and some things Mm -hmm. i was struck by um in oh what show was i watching that uh oh uh, in wandavision there is a reference to quarantine in the latest episode and i had that moment of like they shot I think they shot most of this before the pandemic, but they obviously didn't shoot all of it and made some changes. And there's going to be, we're going to be dealing with a lot of that. Um, I think this year where we're going to see stuff and, and wonder, you know, they won't probably tell us, but like wonder what, what was the story behind this? Did they stop halfway? Did they shoot this all before? Did they shoot this all (laughs) during like, it's interesting to, to watch that and, and 
try to imagine. Maybe we'll be able to tell by people's haircuts. You know? Well, actually, that's the funny thing is that they have continuity people who that's all they do, right, mm-hmm. is match what you look like in another scene because they do shoot everything get, shoots out of order anyway. It just doesn't usually shoot like movies shoot out of order over the course of sometimes months and they, they get everything to, to sync up. But, you know, if you do it over a year, you can make the haircuts probably match better than you can make. So if somebody gained or lost, you know, 15 pounds or something like that, that would be more visible, but I don't know. Looking forward to it regardless. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. 2021 is looking up. New beginnings means new opportunities to grow your business. If part of your strategy is adding new members to your team, LinkedIn Jobs finds the right person quickly. And to make things better, your first job post is free. LinkedIn is an active community of professionals with more than 722 million members worldwide. Getting started is easier than ever. They have new features to help you find qualified candidates quickly. You post a job with targeted screening questions, and LinkedIn will quickly get your role in front of more qualified candidates. Manage job posts and contact candidates from a single view on the familiar LinkedIn.com as functions are streamlined onto one simple screen, and you can do this from your mobile device, no matter where the day takes you. That's how LinkedIn Jobs can help you hire the right person faster. I think it's really great that you can do that, the, the have everything uh, available to you uh, when just when you're on the go. I can imagine if I was filtering through a bunch of applicants, just being able to dip in and dip out of that just seems really great. The thing is about LinkedIn jobs, like for me, and I'm sure for many people out there, LinkedIn is the first place that I think about when it comes to connections within business. It's like it is a way that people connect with each other in the business world. And so having like colleagues and potential colleagues all in one place seems like a no-brainer to me. When your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn jobs. And now you can post a job for free. Just go to linkedin.com slash upgrade. Once again, that is linkedin.com slash upgrade to post a job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to LinkedIn jobs for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we're going to talk about keyboards and trackpads now so we have something to talk about with uh bridge because you you wrote a, a a little article about bridge um and some stuff that they've got going on with a beta version of ios but there's also a uh jason snell story time that we want to get to before that you know my wife is a children's librarian normally she does the story time in this house but i also sometimes have story time there you go from my uh from my pals my my gradient pals I just wanted to, I went to the Apple store again. It's one of those stories, Mike, where I leave the house. It's very exciting when I leave the house. Happens almost never. Went to my local Apple store um, because I decided to embrace the butterfly keyboard Apple service program. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if you've done this, Um, but Apple has this program for people who have the butterfly keyboard on their laptop if it's four years or less from when your laptop was originally purchased apple will uh take it in (laughs) check it out you if it's got like keyboard problems repeated dropped letters stuff like that which i think is basically everyone but apple insists is just a small percentage so um lauren's MacBook Air 2018 model has a butterfly keyboard, obviously. And uh, she said to me, I don't know, a year ago, six months ago, um, I was like, are you having keyboard issues? She says, yeah, and you know, it's okay. The, 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 you know, letters double 
a lot. And I'm like, that's not, you are. It's not okay. <laughs> those are, those are issues. And I downloaded Unshaky, which is this little utility that like tries to sense when a letter is pushed multiple times in a very short time window and basically ignores the additional presses, which is very clever as a workaround to try to solve some of these issues. And when last time I checked, it said like Unshaky has solved thousands of these mistaken presses, right? But the bottom line is it's a butterfly keyboard and it's got a lot of these issues that are famous for the butterfly keyboards. Apple has a program and I thought, well, before it expires, I should, she uses this laptop. I should probably uh, actually take advantage of the fact that Apple has a keyboard service program. Now she, um, in the pandemic, she's mostly been using it at her desk and I got her a stand and uh, pulled out one of my many uh keyboards that i have i have lots of keyboards in my in my office mm-hmm. and uh and a trackpad and she's mostly using it that way now but she still will use it in other places and and you know her using a good keyboard only magnifies how bad the 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 base keyboard is so i decided to do the thing i went online it says go to the you know genius appointment list for your local store if you've got a nearby store and i signed that up I, you know and they're like all right come come in tomorrow afternoon and I go to the mall um, and put on my mask and uh, it's an outdoor mall because it's California. And uh, there are two lines. There's the genius line and there's the picking up products line. I wait in the genius line for five or 10 minutes and I get called into the store. The store has been completely remade where there's basically just, you can't get into the store. You can get into this sort of, it's almost like a little lobby area they've created that's got a, lo- a bunch of like, teller windows or a friend of mine described it as being like going to a racetrack it's the place where you place the bed at the racetrack it's uh or in a cartoon or a movie about racetracks so like there's a little window with a person behind it that you're directed to and i say keyboard service program it's already on my thing and she asked me a lot of sort of unnecessary questions about my laptop Mm -hmm. while she's wiping it down with little moist towelettes um but you know it went pretty quickly because i know the answer (laughs) they wipe it down in front of you yeah, she wiped it down before she even like opened it up. And I don't even know why she opened it up. It's like, this is the keyboard service program. It's got double characters all over the place. And please yeah. just do the thing with the keyboard service program. Um, and they, have you backed it up? Yes. All of that. Um, but it, it went pretty quickly after all of that. And she did <laughs> after the wipe down. And uh, I went back home and she's like, well, we'll you know, our tech will analyze it and then we'll call you. And I'm like, why would that happen? Like, we all know what's going on here. Well, I got a call probably five minutes after i got back home from somebody saying <laughs> oh, <so> yep, <laughs> keep, saying keyboard service program so we're gonna mail it out to the place where and it'll be like 10 days and i said okay great do that did, did That's i why offer I you anything like so because here's my thinking on this right for for a lot of people this is their computer right so if you do this you have no computer for yes two indeed. weeks indeed hmm. yeah and and they you know i don't think they offer you a loaner i don't think they do hmm. i certainly didn't get offered one hmm. i don't think they can and yes that's hmm. a problem and that that i think suppresses the use of this sort of uh process because i know with some stuff at like yeah. apple care they'll basically like especially they've been doing it more recently they will you know you give them your card information and they'll take like a hold and they'll send you a device, right? Uh, and then you just send them back the other one, and they will uh, they'll refund you or whatever. 
Yeah. And whilst again, not ideal because you've got to have the money uh, just sitting around, it, you're at least with you know you haven't you've not got no phone for two weeks or whatever. And this is a this is a 2018 model, so they don't make it anymore or anything like. That. I mm. I don't know. I agree with you. I think that given that this is essentially a product recall, it would be awfully nice if they offered something like that, but they don't. Although it would be kind of torture for anyone doing it because it would be like, here's a brand new MacBook Pro, yeah, and it's right. so amazing. And then in two weeks' time, you have to uh, give it back, mail it back. David in the in the Discord uh, points out quite rightly that the, the reason that they do the little uh, quick kind of check before they tell you, yep, keyboard program, we're going to send it out, is they want to make sure it works and isn't busted and, you know, that it, it basically is a functioning laptop for all sorts of other reasons before they put you in the keyboard program. But in my case, it's a perfectly fine laptop that has a butterfly keyboard. That's its, that's its core flaw. Um, by the way, the next day I got a phone call which was really funny, a, a voice call. And I decided to answer it because I've gotten a couple of these calls from unknown numbers in California that have actually been related to Apple store and Apple stuff. So I'm like, all right, let's just see. I'll take a chance. It's probably a spammer, but let's give it a, a shot. And it was a person, a live person Ooh. who said, um, you know, this is so-and-so with Apple and just letting you know about your, um, about your laptop that's been sent in for the keyboard service program that due to extreme weather in the United States, it's going to face delays. It'll probably take us a little bit longer to look at it than we might have thought. And I'm like, okay. Like, so, you know, we'll take it. And I'm like, fine. This is one of those things where I don't, it's nice that it's a real human being and not like a, just a recording, but I have nothing to say to them. It's like, all right. I'm like, An thank email you for telling me. Fine, really. Yeah. And I did get one, something similar to that a couple of days before about my appointment that was from a real person, but was just, they left a voicemail. So I'm in the, I'm in the system, the Apple system now, and that laptop is gone to who knows where to do who knows what. Um, right. Like meanwhile, back at home, I should say, um, Lauren is currently using as we speak, in fact, my M1 MacBook Air. Um, that was an interesting issue because I had this moment where I realized this is probably going to take more than, or it could, before I had gone there, could take more than a couple of days, right? This is probably a longer kind of outage. So I I backed up her MacBook Air to Time Machine, the new fresh Time Machine backup. I, I got an external drive that I have, an external SSD, that I formatted and I downloaded the Big Sur installer and installed Big Sur on it. And then I restored her time machine backup to the external drive running Big Sur. So basically she's booted off of an external drive on an M1 MacBook Air that is essentially a backup, a replication of her computer. And probably when it comes back, she'll just, I'll migrate her back and it'll be on Big Sur because she was on like Catalina or Mojave or something like that and doing you know cloning a Big Sur uh, drive is is problematic and having it be bootable anyway the old school way would have been to like just clone her drive and then boot off of it but the M1 Macs only run Big Sur (laughs) and they're Apple Silicon so it's more complicated than that and all that so in any event it works I've got it booted off of an external drive it's it's basically her computer updated mm-hmm. to Big Sur, as far as she can see, running on that external drive. And it, it, it will do the job for her in the meantime. 
Um, and yeah, she's going to get a Big Sur upgrade out of it because I don't, I think after working on it for probably more than a week, she's probably not going to want to just go back. Even if the, her drive is still intact, she's probably not going to want to go back to her, her hard drive as it existed two weeks ago. Um, so the question that remains is what will happen to this laptop when it comes back? What's going to happen to it? And I, I know that probably a lot of our listeners have been through this, but just, I, I, um, I haven't been, so I, I wanted to at least talk about it. Um, by the way, <laughs> this program covers, and I'm going to quote here, eligible MacBook, MacBook Air, and MacBook Pro models for four years after the first retail sale of a unit. So basically, if you have a butterfly keyboard laptop and you bought it in 2017, let's say, uh, time is running out if it hasn't run out already Yeah, for you to do this program. And I would say, if your keyboard's weird <laughs> and you can, and you have a way to keep doing whatever it is you're doing before uh, this time uh, runs out, you should do this program, right? Because Apple gave you a keyboard that it acknowledges isn't doesn't work right. You should probably take advantage of the program while you can. Problem being, do you need to actually do things with a computer in the interim and who knows how long it'll be? Putting in there. So this is one of the things that's the, the great mystery. I believe, depending on your model, they're swapping the keyboard with something different. Uh, but I'm unclear whether all of these models are getting the kind of final form of the black of the uh, of the um, butterfly keyboard, where they did again. It's still a butterfly keyboard, but they put like different kind of stuff on the switches and stuff to say, improve materials. materials. Yeah, that's the great phrase. But I'm unclear if if the improved materials are even compatible with the older models. Like, can the 2018 Air that my wife has, does it get the improved materials or does it just get... Good, uh, good name for a band, improved The improved materials. materials? Yeah. Yeah, I saw them open at uh, the Fillmore. Okay. <laughs> I vaguely remember that there's some models that can get the improved materials and some that can't. And And this is the this is the part that's frustrating, right? Is if your bad butterfly keyboard gets replaced with another bad butterfly keyboard, you know, it's presumably still going to go bad. It's just going to start back the clock on it. Right. Yeah, exactly. It resets the clock is exactly right. So, you know, what a mess. I I would say it it doesn't feel particularly generous to me that Apple sets the four year clock on this too. Um, because like what it, what they're really saying is after you've had a laptop for four years, if the key if the keyboard, which is your only input method, if you want to use it as a laptop, is totally busted and doesn't work right, too bad you had your four years. Seems strange to me. Like I I, I don't know, not particularly generous. It's nice that they've got this program, but um, and you could argue that it it's good that they've got the program. Of course it is, but also they've got these keyboards that um are really unreliable and and not great so um but i will say also just it's another reminder that although like when we were talking about the apple report card everybody's like yay the butterfly keyboards are finally gone they're not they're not because until may of 2020 apple was still selling butterfly keyboard laptops which means this program will presumably be in effect until the middle of 2024, when the last butterfly keyboard laptop has its four-year date since it was initially sold at retail. So you could argue that we're going to be living with the butterfly keyboard uh, until at least 2024. 
Um, anyway, I'll report back on when yeah. this thing gets back, whenever that is. I don't know if it's in a pile of snow in Texas somewhere or where it is or what's going on with it, but um, it's it's been interesting to go through it, and I'm very glad that we have the luxury of having a laptop that I can basically um, use as, as the replacement for this in the meantime. Um, and that is that is a luxury, and I totally admit that, and that's one of the challenges with even like, well, Apple's got a program, so that's fine. If you've got to give away your only computer for an unknown amount of time so that its keyboard works, that's not great, right? That's not great. Has Lauren expressed any kind of opinion on the uh, M1 MacBook Pro, uh, MacBook Air? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, other than to say, it, am I going to feel like my computer is really bad when I get it back? Ah. And I think the answer is no. And I think the answer is no, really, because although this is an M1 MacBook Air, it is also booted off of an external USB drive. Right. And yeah. therefore, external drives are not the fastest. You've basically so. leveled it out. <laughs> mm, trying i'm trying don't make it look don't make it look too good but it, there is a possibility that she'll get hers back and be like this this laptop is garbage get me a new laptop and i'm like all right well you know if it comes to that so bridge uh we've spoken about bridge for a long time on this show we were both yeah. long time users of bridge but not in about a year funny how that yeah. happened uh because apple released the magic folio magic oh my gosh magic keyboard for some, I really struggle with the name of that product because yep. there are so many other products that have existed throughout history called Magic Keyboard. And indeed, uh, the most important part of the Magic Keyboard is the trackpad. It's the trackpad. <laughs> um, and so I really wish that they would have given it a completely different name than the one that they gave. Magic Keyboard. Uh, yeah, and when I write about it, I have to say Magic Keyboard for iPad. Yeah. Is that what they call it, Magic Keyboard for iPad? Or is well, it just it's Magic, Magic Keyboard for iPad Pro is initially what they called it, but now one of them is Magic Keyboard for iPad Pro and iPad Air oh because it fits both. It's mm. But really, as you say, like the, the identifying feature of the Magic Keyboard is the trackpad. <laughs> That's right. Because they have had lots of keyboards uh, mm-hmm. before. Uh, some of yep. them were smart. Um, so uh, but we not Magic. talking about bridge products because of the introduction of the magic keyboard because we had loved bridge for years because it basically turned our ipads into laptops it had great adjustability and put a keyboard right there front and center right but then when apple released their product they put a trackpad on it which was like exactly what you wanted you know we were speaking about it in the time right there was all this space at the bottom of the bridge keyboard where my wrists yeah. went and it would be lovely if there was a trackpad there and we hoped and it they could make happen. them for windows la- windows tablets yep. they make yep. a bridge keyboard with a trackpad and we were hoping they would do it and they and this is the funny thing is they did do it before the magic uh magic keyboard because yeah. they were taking advantage of the um, assistive touch. There we go, the assistive touch cursor. But yeah. by the time that Bridge had got that product to the point where it was ready to ship, Apple dropped the second shoe and released the full-on cursor support and right. the Magic Keyboard. So at that mm-hmm. point, we kind of moved on. But also, unfortunately for Bridge... The Bridge Pro Plus, which was the product that they released, was a very bad product to use because of some limitations around what they could do with the trackpad. So you reviewed the original one. As a refresher, it was basically that they had to kind of emulate a mouse rather than let it be a trackpad. Is that right? Right. 
that's my understanding is that um the iPad and iPad OS didn't support Bluetooth trackpads. It supported Bluetooth um mice. And so they had they were faking trackpad support, but their mm-hmm. trackpad was really sort of behaving like a mouse. And there were lots of limitations. And so when I tried it, like it didn't do multi-touch gestures. The two-finger scroll was really janky. Um, cursor movement wasn't precise. It just wasn't very good. And this was with the cursor support because it was in... I remember writing about it in that window where the cursor support came out, mm-hmm. but the Magic Keyboards hadn't shipped yet. Remember? There were, yep. they, they announced it, but they weren't out yet. It was in the early days of the pandemic. They They weren't quite out yet. And... It was clearly not good enough. And, and, and it, it pained me to write that article because I've liked their keyboards for so long and I've written about how much I like their keyboards. And then I used their trackpad and basically said, this isn't good enough. Like, I wouldn't use this. I would rather not use a trackpad than use this trackpad, right? It just wasn't mm-hmm. not good enough. And then you get the Magic Keyboard and the Magic, because the, the, the question was hanging out there like, well, what will the Magic Keyboard feel like? And the answer is exactly like the Magic Trackpad on laptops and desktops like mm-hmm. exactly it, it it is the full apple trackpad experience so you know basically at that point i stopped using the bridge keyboard and i just used the magic keyboard for ipad <laughs> because it had the good trackpad and also the keys were the keys were good although you know arguably i think the bridge keyboard uh ergonomically is better the i think the keyboard is uh is as good or better um it the laptop feel is nice the um it 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 definitely is shaped like a laptop it you can move the hinge like a laptop it's got a broader range traditional uh range of uh viewing angle i could say right then the magic keyboard which has obviously got the kind of multi-fold design and doesn't and it hovers over the keys and stuff it's it's a different kind of feel it got Mm -hmm. function row so you can do brightness and stuff that is not on apple's keyboards for ipad uh, you know, there there are all sorts of reasons, but bottom line was, but this one's got a good trackpad, so I'm going to use this one. And, yep. and it's been like that until basically last week. So the 14.5 beta came out with the ability for companies like Bridge to have an improved uh, experience, yeah. right? It's it's So Bridge isn't talking about it. Nobody's talking about it, but you can read between the lines, yeah. which is something happened in this I, iPad OS beta <laughs> that allows them to do a trackpad. And it's, and it's not quite the, like Logitech has their case for the iPad Air that does a track that has a trackpad, mm-hmm. but it's smart connector based. So I've, I, you know, if I put two and two together, I guess what I'm saying is that obviously smart connector based trackpad input was working before, but for Bluetooth based trackpad input for a non Apple trackpad, uh, I guess this, I don't know if it's that or if it's that it's a device that's doing both keyboard and trackpad as one Bluetooth device, but Mm -hmm. something is going on where they literally require the latest iOS, iPad OS beta in order for this to work. So clearly, That's a very strong indicator that they literally could not do this until Apple did something inside the operating system that we don't know what it is. Yeah. But they do now have 
A, you can sign up for getting on their test flight, and their test flight is for an app that is a firmware updater, and you have to be on the latest uh, iPadOS beta, and you run the firmware updater, and your Bridge Pro Plus keyboard gets uh, a firmware update that um, makes it behave like a trackpad instead of like a mouse, you know, pretend mouse that's actually a trackpad. And it basically behaves the same as the Logitech product does, except it's Bluetooth instead of smart connector. Mm -hmm. Basically behaves the same way. Um, Which, it surprised me, because I I did a lot... (laughs) Mike, I spent a lot of time last week uh, looking at my hands. Have you ever really looked at your hand, man? (laughs) Um, Seriously, though, if I, I would say this to anybody, look at... Stop for a second when you're using your trackpad and look at it and look at where your fingers are. And you'll be like, I do that because I discovered all sorts of very quirky finger motions that I've completely internalized that I built up over decades of using trackpads, including using my thumb to click, which is clearly because Apple used to have the button underneath the trackpad. And so you click it with your thumb yeah. and I've never stopped clicking with my thumb. Okay. It just happens on the bottom of the trackpad now. So, and I do this thing where I, I've got my thumb on there and then I move with my, I move with my index finger and then I, uh, before the index finger is even done moving, I, I lay my thumb back down and then once it stops, I click. It's this very, I, I videoed, I videoed myself doing mousing gestures to try and figure out what was going on. Um, and what I learned while doing all of this sort of stuff is the bridge trackpad and the Logitech trackpad have limitations that are not on Apple's magic trackpad or the trackpad in the magic keyboard for iPad. So that's interesting, right? Like there's not a universal, it turns out one of the things I learned is Apple's really good at, uh, trackpad firmware and they have, there's a lot of secret sauce in the magic mm-hmm. trackpad. And the one that really got me is I do a lot of two finger str- scrolling, um, with my two fingers down vertically. And that works great on the magic trackpad on the bridge and the Logitech trackpads doesn't, it doesn't see them. And in fact, you have to kind of rotate until you have to be less than 45 degrees um, horizontal for it to see the two finger scroll. That's like really weird. Isn't it weird? And and now if all trackpads ever required you to be at 45 or less and not at 90 degrees, I would have trained myself a long time ago to not do that. Right. And I, I think I think this is the this is the key here is. Can you train yourself to do retrain yourself to use use the trackpad in a way that is not the way you use it with the Apple trackpad? The answer is absolutely yes. It's sort of a subset of motions that these trackpads support, not just the bridge, but the Logitech. But I do find it fascinating, right? Like it, it revealed a level of secret sauce that I wasn't aware was there <laughs> in Apple's firmware, and so. This new trackpad firmware, it's pretty good. And I would say it it's pretty good, but there are going to be little quirks where you're going to say, oh, I need to move my fingers slightly differently in order to do this um, than I would on a Magic trackpad. And, you know, it, it's almost half the price of the Magic keyboard. So there's lots, you know, there's lots going for it. 
but the bottom line is also that if you want the best trackpad experience on an iPad, the Magic Keyboard is the answer because it does have that secret sauce that um, that the third-party devices, not just the Bridge, but the the Logitech one that was sort of blessed by Apple, even that one doesn't have all the secret sauce. I kind of don't understand what the point of that is. Like, if they are holding it back from being as seamless as it could be. I think it's a question of what is Apple's responsibility as a platform owner to the makers of third-party accessories, right? right like, but like, if I get... Like if 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 I get Bluetooth trackpad made by whatever technology company and attach it to my Mac, I, I don't think I would have these same kind of issues. I don't know. I think or maybe a mouse you would or something. Well, but a mouse is going to behave like a mouse. I I think you might. I think mm. I think what this reveals is that Apple considers some level of the intelligence that it's putting into its trackpad firmware to be proprietary, and that it really does want yeah. the best trackpad experience to be on Apple hardware. And for all we know, I mean, because I don't know this, I don't know if you know this, Bridge might be able to make their experience better. Like, they might have to do some stuff with their firmware well, where they can get it closer. That's that's absolutely true, and I don't want to reveal too much, but, like, I mean, I, I used a few different versions of their firmware right. in test flight before they announced this. And there's certainly power that they have and control that they have. Um, but what struck me is there may be limitations that are just limitations on anybody who's not Apple. Um, and obviously Apple has not only the resources to fine tune this firmware and a huge user base, but it's really also that they've been refining this stuff for decades, mm. right? Like the first trackpad on a power book was in the 90s <laughs> they had had a long time and with the ma original magic trackpad and with the second magic trackpad and the fact that you know two-thirds three-quarters of the macs they sell are all laptops so they've all got trackpads like apple's been at the trackpad game with and satisfying lots of customers and finding lots of quirks probably in how people use their fingers on a trackpad for a long time so they should have secret sauce and you know, they could potentially share that with others, but I think they could also just not. <laughs> and and it's I don't know whether it's a technical thing or mm. or it's a decision uh, on their part. But the it, it's something that I hadn't really expected uh, when I went into this. I, I assumed that a trackpad was a trackpad. And that's not tr true. I mean, we already knew. Also, I'll say the software update thing, like you can use a magic trackpad too via Bluetooth with an iPad and you don't need the latest public beta of iPad OS, right? So Apple's trackpad works great via Bluetooth. Whereas the bridge trackpad needs a software update, an OS update to work via Bluetooth. Why is that? I, I think in the end, it's the same thing, which is home field advantage of Apple as the platform owner. And they're pouring more of that secret sauce in there, which is their, their stuff is, the best stuff on their platform and they like it that way this episode is brought to you by literati kids 
Great children's books open new worlds of discovery. With Literati Kids, your child can explore uncharted places every month of spellbinding stories handpicked by experts. Literati Kids is a try-before-you-buy subscription book club. Every month with your $9.95 monthly subscription, Literati delivers five vibrantly illustrated children's books, bringing the immersive magic of reading right to your home. You get seven days to keep and read the books from each box, and it's super easy to send them back with the included prepaid shipping label. And if there's any books that you want to buy and keep, Literati will match or beat Amazon's list price so your child can read them over and over again. I think this is a really great idea. It's a super fun way to make sure that you're not reading the same books over and over and over again and also helps children try out new titles, new things, might learn some different stuff. There's a lot of great selection with the books as well. The breadth of the catalog is really awesome. They also include Spoiler alert. A lot of great cute little surprises too. It makes the deliveries feel special and personalized to the child that receives them. This is a really cool service. Head to literati.com slash upgrade for 25% off your first two orders. Select your child's book club and start them on a literary journey like no other. That's L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I dot com slash upgrade. It's the only place you're going to find that 25% off your first two orders of this one-of-a-kind book subscription description the most joyful way to foster a lifelong love of learning that one more time that is literati.com slash upgrade our thanks to literati kids for their support of this show and relay fm got a couple of mark german reports these are small reports i think we could maybe come up with a name they're like German lights or something? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, German, German bites. German, uh, German... German bites. Mark bites. Yeah. Mini um, Germans. Apparently, Apple is working on a magnetically attached battery pack for iPhones with MagSafe. This has been in development for a year. There's been stumbling blocks, as there always is. Uh, the key difference here is that this, this uh, product is not a case, as we've seen in previous years. Just a battery pack with MagSafe on it, and you put it on, and it charges up. Uh, the report also references that plans for reverse wireless charging on iPhones as a potential feature has been uh, put on what seems like an indefinite hold. So this is the idea. So this is like two little things in one here, but the idea, the second part is that you know you could charge your AirPods on the back of your iPhone. Uh, it was a thing that we all thought. Well, many of us thought that they would add, and it seems like they're not. Uh, but what do you think about this uh, MagSafe battery pack? I don't know. What I've heard is that. It's not very efficient that this kind of charging technology is not very efficient. And so you'd be better off with a battery pack with a that you plug in. But that said, mm-hmm. you know, it's part of the MagSafe ecosystem, right? You know, attach this thing. And I think there are others out there that do this already. I think some companies make like Qi charging battery packs, right? Like that's right. that is a thing that you can get. But I guess one of the benefits that you would get with MagSafe, of course, is that you don't have to be delicate with it, right? Like if you're right. just chi charging on a thing, you've got to like hold that thing all together and make sure it doesn't come off. Yeah. But with MagSafe, yeah. it's going to attach. It's it's attached and aligned, and and maybe you can even put it in your pocket, and it will stay attached. And yeah, I I am not a big battery pack person. I'm no mm-hmm. Alex Cox, for example, <laughs> lives with a battery pack, but. I think it's fine, and I think Apple should be doing this. This is a continuation of Apple's whole thing with MagSafe, which is it's they're not just rolling out a, an iPhone feature. They're rolling out a sort of constellation of accessories, right? The accessories from Apple, accessories from third parties, 
and they've had success with their battery packs in the past, battery cases. So why not do this too? It'll be undoubtedly more expensive than, you know, any alternative, but also it'll be the one from Apple. So people will yeah. buy it. It will be baked into the system. Like the, but I always liked the battery Secret cases. Sauce, Mike. Oh my Secret word! Sauce. How many more times do you? <laughs> how many more times do you think you can conceivably get that into today's episode? Like if you're not forcing it, couple. We're more? talking about Apple. Apple. Apple is. I mean, what's the secret sauce going to be? Basically I think that's a the whole company. game plan. Yeah. Um, I have used the battery cases for the last couple of iPhones. Like I don't have obviously any need to uh, get a battery case or pack for my current iphone because usually i would use these when i was traveling um i reckon i might be able to get this entire uh, life cycle of my iphone without any kind of battery pack or case on it Um, but this is a interesting method of doing it again i mean i've mentioned this before i'm not super into wireless charging as a technology uh it kind of i don't know things get hot and stuff like and i'm always hearing about apple's always having problems with these products keep catching fire you know like there's in in german's report they said like oh in its early stages they were having overheating reliability issues with this product it's like yeah i'm not surprised everything seems to go wrong when chi charging is introduced so i don't think this one's for me i'm I'm a way away from being a chi charging person i still charge the good old way of a cable um but everybody else that I know, including everybody else in my household, loves MagSafe. Uh, but it's just not my thing. Plus, I'm a pop socket person, which is another big right. reason. Right. Oh, uh, boy. In- incredibly difficult to try and make that all work out. I have the MagSafe wallet. I bought a MagSafe wallet. You it's did? Nice. I did. I like it. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I like it. Instead of having to put my phone and my wallet in my pocket, I put my phone with my wallet in my pocket. Well, those rare instances where I go outside. Yeah, you see, I just have that also that feeling of like you lose one, you lose both, you know. Well, I mean, that's okay. Yes, that's I suppose that's true. <laughs> and five G, forget about it. It's time for six G. Apple has engineers working on <laughs> We're their doing own all the G's. system for six G. More G's. Uh, apparently, Apple have decided they want to be ahead of the curve when it comes to six G. Um, and But this is a sign of what's coming to them in the future anyway, that they are not going to be using partner products for modems and radios. You know you know why, Mike? You know why Apple I wants would love to, to know why. Tell build me. on some, because they want to put in their own secret sauce. Oh, look at that. You did it. I'm proud of you, uh-huh. really, because it was so soon and it's still legitimate. Yeah. But this was, you know, we you remember from the Qualcomm story and then Apple buying up Intel's modem division. They are moving this way anyway. 6G is about 10 years away. So I expect that before 6G yeah. is even a thing, Apple's using their own 5G modems in maybe the iPhone 14 or something. Um, right. So, you know, this is right. definitely in their future. We should take bets about what year AT&T will declare their latest yeah. 5G technology 6G. as 6G. I reckon it's like four or five years away. Okay. Because if 6G is 10 years away, I could imagine them about halfway through that period of time, it will become spoken about more, and they'll just be like, here we go, 6G time. In 2026. Yeah. What better time than 26 for 6G? There you go. Except it won't be 6G. It'll be AT&T. Well, AT&T will call it that. 5G branded as 6G. 
So what does AT&T call 5G? They call it 5G and then 4G is 5GE. Is that how it works? Oh, I think they call it like 5, yeah, 5G plus or something. I don't even know. I don't have 5G. I, I don't I don't have it because it would require me to go on a much more expensive plan. And also mm-hmm. I don't leave my house. So yeah, it's not needed I don't know. I guess technically I have AT&T, so I do have 5G. It's just not really 5G. You it's have fake to, 5G. AT&T's 5G, which is the real 5G as we know it to be. If you said it's everywhere, it's one that's everywhere. Mm-hmm. This is a non-Mark Gurman report. I saw this reported on Mac Rumors. Uh, I've seen a bunch of websites reporting on this too. There's a claimed leaked image showing the design of AirPods 3. This has come from a website called 52 Audio. Now, obviously, we can't corroborate the reliability of these images, but they do seem in line with rumors from Mark Gurman and Ming-Chi Kuo on what Apple's next AirPods could feature and potentially look like. Now, what I want to do just for the purpose of this discussion is just assume that this image is correct, right? Because I think mm. it just makes it more interesting for discussion for us to just... Let's just take as read okay. that the images uh, that are in this article are correct. And this is what yeah, the next okay. AirPods I'm, are going to look I'm like. I'm very skeptical about these, but okay. Well, let's, we, we can talk about that skepticism even in the idea of these of these being real or not because it's about the product itself because i think there is a potential that it could go this way and the key design detail that is shown here that we're talking about is that the airpods 3 so would be the the addition to the standard airpods uh the revision to the the original design is that they're basically going to look just like airpods pro so much smaller with the in-ear silicone system so like the, the earphones go in your ears and if they do this, this is a big departure from the current AirPods design, which I think would make a lot of people pretty upset because not everyone likes the in-ear headphones, yeah. you know? I, well, okay. So my skepticism here is also not just uh, what's the source, but also what are AirPods Pro if these are AirPods? Like, what's the difference? Because this looks very much like... Apple's going to do new AirPods, their AirPods Pro. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't. What? How well, do these? Okay. How are these differentiated from AirPods Pro? What's so, left? Fifty Two Audio claim that these AirPods Three feature the pressure relieving system that AirPods Pro have. So they've got like it equalizes the pressure, but it seems like that's it. So it doesn't seem like there's active noise cancellation in it. We assume probably no okay. transparency mode. And so let's imagine that that's what it has for now. But they do have the the um, touch control indentations in these renders or yep. images or whatever they are. Yep. So that's a feature. So, so noise cancellation is the difference between AirPods and AirPods Pro? I think that that would probably be safe to assume would be the, the thing. Like, All right. So that so other, might be So they're it, basically right? just lesser AirPods Pro. Mm-hmm. But isn't that... Hmm. So, you know, on that, though, isn't that an, the Apple thing to do? To, like, make AirPods, quote-unquote, better, and then make AirPods Pro better still? It is. I think the question, and maybe where we're getting hung up, is the this concern that AirPods and AirPods Pro don't fit the same, and that people mm-hmm. for whom AirPods fit are going to be sad because the new AirPods don't don't fit them. Now, I, I'm reminded that when AirPods Pro came out, Apple made a big deal in the in the launch of saying, uh, "We this is all based on our research into e- the shapes of ears worldwide, and it's a much better shape 
that's compatible with more ears than uh, our old AirPods. So that might be their premise is that AirPods should be shaped like AirPods Pro because Mm. it's a better shape that fits more ears. It will be a real bummer for the people (laughs) for whom AirPods Pro don't fit comfortably, but AirPods do. So I love my AirPods Pro. But Me too. my left one falls out all the time. Doesn't matter what size tip I use, doesn't matter. And my left ear has always been the ear that has bothered me with these types of headphones. And AirPods Pro are not uncomfortable for me like others are, but the left one just doesn't see in. This never happened with standard AirPods. They never fell out. But the left one falls out. So maybe my ear canal is misshapen or whatever. But mm. this is the thing, right? So some people don't like it. And for some people, it just doesn't work. Like for me. Now, if that annoyed me enough, I would stop using them. But I find the transparency and noise cancellation features to be so good and the touch sensitivity to, on the on the stalks of the things to be so good that I'll take it, right? It's like, fine, I, I, I will use it. But it, I I would be surprised if... Not not surprised. I would be. I think a, bit, a little bit disappointed if this was the only option. Have you tried a some other ear tip kind of thing on your left ear for AirPods foam Pro? Is fine. Like S- Sony Silicon, I have the issue with foam. If I use foam tips, they're fine. But I just don't really like foam tips. Have you tried uh, Federico's thing where you put the foam under the silicone, and so it 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 providing the kind of like the push that foam does, that. but. No, I haven't tried that. Federico really made some companies day by... (laughs) Yeah, by writing about that, yeah. Writing that and talking about it on Connected. But um, that might be something to try. Uh, As an aside, um, there's a company that I use that makes uh, custom silicone ear tips that I use for my headphones. And they offered uh, a version that that works for AirPods Pro. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. It turns out it's literally an in-ear tip and then there's like this this like thing sticking out that is where you put the airpod and and they really expect you to like walk around with airpods pro just sort of like bouncing around on the outside of your ears oh with their with the little hole so they did so bad a little connector to go into the plasticky thing like the little clip no oh that's a real shame it's really bad that's so hilarious why that must be so uncomfortable too yeah, it's it's not it's it's really bad. Yeah, so down. now basically now I've got a, a pair of earplugs. <laughs> They're very nice earplugs. Just you can snip off the little outside part and uh it's a very nice earplug. Go take it to concerts when I go to concerts again. I could easily imagine them changing the design and I think they should change the design, like the overall physical shape and size and look to look like AirPods Pro because they're the cooler ones. But I just think it would be a shame to remove the plastic um, ear design that they had before, you know? Yeah, I get it. I mean, Apple is not afraid to do that. And I can tell you that if this is what they do, they will absolutely say that these are uh, shapes that are more are compatible with more ears. And that the the removable tips, if the if they've got the same removable tip design, they'll say, and you know, the removable tips help you get a better fit, and more people are going to be able to use have access to AirPods than before. But it will fundamentally, even if that's completely true, there will be people for whom the new AirPods won't mm-hmm. fit that the old ones did, 
And that's, you know, the question here is, is Apple trying to make a product line of headphones for people who have different desires, like one that goes in your ear and one that sits in, you know, outside your ear and one that goes over your ear? Or are they following their other instinct, which is to sort of make everything uniform? And yeah, I'm with you. I would rather see Apple spread out their headphone design choices for ergonomic reasons than have it all be sort of like, well, we only make one AirPod shape and this is it. So I will ask you now, do you do you think they will do this with silicone in-ears on AirPods, the, the future version of AirPods 3? Do you think that that is what Apple will do? I think... It's the most likely scenario is they will because yeah. they'll be so proud of this design that they came up with for AirPods Pro that they're going to want to roll it back. And there might even be some savings in having the AirPods and AirPods Pro be kind of the same for a lot of this. So I think there's a chance that it's not true. I, I, I really do. But I think if I had to pick one, I would pick that it's true. I think that it will be too. and. I hope that they have transparency mode. Well, I'll tell you, if it's got the uh, airflow path, then there's some degree of transparency already, right? Like, that's letting. Yeah, I mean, air I, do, I don't know if outside. you've ever used AirPods Pro and just turned it off, because you can turn transparency and noise canceling yeah. off as like an off setting. And that is too isolated for me. It's a natural isolation to that. And I don't feel comfortable and wouldn't feel comfortable being out in the street with that isolation level. Yeah. I mean, covering, you know, covering up your ears with headphones makes a difference mm -hmm. that the earbuds don't do. So absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do because you would think that if you can put it in transparency mode, then you're basically, you're basically doing noise canceling, right? Like, is yeah. that hardware any different? It's the same hardware. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I My skepticism about this report is that it looks an awful lot like it's just sort of a, a rebadging of some AirPods Pro and saying mm -hmm. this, these are the new AirPods. And that could very easily just be a lazy, um, you know, goal of getting attention for a fake rumor. Yeah, I agree with you. And I wouldn't have included this at all if, if reliable people like Mark Gurman and Ming-Chi Kuo have said things that are similar to this, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of detail we don't know, but the idea of them moving towards this one type of design seems possible. Um, seems possible. I, I would soon probably. I would probably advocate against it, because saying that the canal phone market and the earbud market are as different as the earbud market and the headphone over over ear headphone market mm -hmm. are different right canal phones i love them i love sticking little headphone things in my ears it's great but some people hate it and i get it i get that and so why would you not give those people i don't i don't care how much better it is having people have to stick the silicone tip of an earphone in their ear canal like that's a that's a deal breaker for a lot of people and as you point out there's also a safety issue if it's covering up their ability to hear their surroundings. So I would advocate against it, but it doesn't mean they won't do it.
This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. They will let you easily create a website for your next idea or project. With Squarespace, you can register a unique domain name to give your site the branding that it deserves. You can take advantage of and customize beautiful award-winning templates. So when people come to your website, they're going to be so impressed. They're going to be floored with just how professional and wonderful your website looks. And it's all really customizable with Squarespace as well. So you can go in and you can tweak fonts. You can tweak the layout and the design and really make it feel like it's your own without having to do tons and tons of work because Squarespace is an all-in-one platform. There's nothing to install. There's no patches to worry about. No upgrades needed. You have to worry about any of that stuff because Squarespace have got you covered and they back it up with award-winning 24-7 customer support. No matter what type of website you want to make, whether it's an online store, a site for your business, a site for a live event that you've got coming up, maybe you're doing something over with Zoom, maybe you want to create a portfolio or a blog, it doesn't matter what it is, Squarespace can help you do it. I have built so many websites of varying uh, different purposes of Squarespace. Like over the last 10 years, I have been a very happy and continue to be a very happy customer of Squarespace. You can sign up for a trial today with no credit card required. Just go to squarespace.com upgrade and their plans start at just $12 a month. But when you're on that free trial, you can build your entire website. You sign up for one of their plans when you launch it to the world. When you do sign up, use the offer code UPGRADE at checkout and you will get 10% of your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for this show. Once again, at squarespace.com upgrade and the code UPGRADE for 10% of your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Let's do some hashtag ask upgrade questions. Brance asks... To avoid confusion between Apple TV, the app, and Apple TV Plus, the service, and Apple TV, the hardware, what would you rename the Apple TV hardware if there was a next generation coming? I guess the first question is, would you or should they uh, rename Apple TV to something else? Yeah, I think it's really confusing, um, but I think that they can't go too far away. I liked um, Ben Thompson and John Gruber came to this idea of like call it apple tv arcade or something if you're going to focus on games right um give it some differentiator just because apple tv app apple tv plus service it's there's a lot of apple tv going on here give it something to differentiate it i guess technically it's the apple tv 4k is what it's called but that's not i don't know I, i don't i don't have a good answer i would say uh what's its focus and give it a name that apple tv pro focus so it could be Apple TV Pro. It could Apple be TV Apple Max. TV Home. If it's got home features, yep. it could be Apple TV Arcade. If it's, they're going to try to pitch it for Apple Arcade um, and and bundle it with a controller or something like that. But it would be nice if they stuck a modifier on it. Sure would be nice. Yeah, I would like a modifier for that. But realistically, I would like a brand new name so I don't have to say the first two words. But the likelihood of that occurring is very slim. It's very low. Right, because I, I don't want to have to get to word three before you know what one I mean. Yeah. But Oh, there just... isn't a third word. Well then I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, if I just if the third word is completely unrelated. <laughs> yeah, or like Ryan saying in the chat, just call it ITV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the original name, in case you don't didn't know that. Uh but they faced issues uh with the ITV company here in the UK. Indeed. So they called it Apple TV. And I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong, was the first product to get the Apple logo name. I think you might be right. 
And that, very clearly, that was a Steve Jobs thing, right? Where mm-hmm. Steve Jobs was like, oh, it's ITV, whatever. And they're like, we can't call it that. But I do think it may be prom- uh, was was a, if not the example, a very prominent example of Apple deciding that using I in front of everything was something they should stop doing and mm-hmm. then brand everything. Apple followed by a generic was something they should start doing. I stood for internet, internet TV, internet pad. Sure. Mm-hmm. Richard asks, what are your thoughts on Clubhouse, especially as a complement and or evolution of podcasting? Do you have an opinion about Clubhouse, Mike? Oh, yeah, of course I do. You know I do. Um, I want to point people to a tweet that I very much enjoy from friend of the show, Lex Friedman, which said, saying Clubhouse's podcast is like saying parties are plays. And I just thought it, was, it so beautifully encapsulates my feeling about Clubhouse disrupting podcasting. Now, I see a lot of people saying, like, getting upset about this because they say, you know, like, I, I as a podcast producer, take umbrage to this because my podcast is so lovingly edited with music and et cetera, et cetera, right? Like, and, and then people equate this idea of, like, oh, people that make highly produced podcasts and people, when they hear that, think it has to have music underneath it. Um, but I would say that what we do is still highly produced, they're heavily edited. And, it's not the editing part for me that is why podcasts and Clubhouse uh, are different. It's just just because it's audio that you listen to on your phone doesn't mean that it's a podcast, nor that it will necessarily take people's time away from podcasting. It's like Apple Music is not podcasts, but they're both audio I listen to on my phone. I find it strange how especially it seems like this happens a lot in Silicon Valley and especially when anything's VC-related. Everything has to be something else. It has to disrupt something that already exists. It has to be a better version of something we already have. And I, and I don't know why it has to be that way. Like It is perfectly valid to say that Clubhouse is a new thing that exists and will be its own thing. And like, isn't that a better thing to say than to be like, oh, this is now going to kill podcasting? It's like Twitch doesn't kill YouTube videos. But that's what's going... It's like, that's how I think of it. Of like, YouTube videos are, by and large, these highly produced things that take a lot of time and effort to put together, and they're concise, and they've been... A lot of prep has gone into them. And then you have Twitch streaming, which is typically more free form there's less work that goes into it beforehand there's no work that goes into it after the recording is done and it's just there and you can have it on in the background like that is the comparison like clubhouse is to twitch that podcasts are to youtube and like so that's what's going on it's like it's the same medium it's audio but they're different like the only things that are similar is that it's people talking it's like it's like conversations aren't disrupting podcasting and like so like I just don't understand why we have to have these oh the, this is the discourse that like Clubhouse is now shaking the ground of podcasting it's not going to happen right but Clubhouse can be its own thing which is very successful and you know I hope that it does for people like it's a, a new medium I don't feel any draw to it myself either either as a creator or consumer I have an account I've checked it a few times. I've listened to 10 minutes of one clubhouse. I don't think it's for me. 
uh, I think as a creator, I don't have anything I feel like I could bring to Clubhouse that I wouldn't just have as part of one of my many shows, right? Like, why would I do a thing on Clubhouse, right? Like, that is content, which I would produce in the medium for podcasting. But I'm keeping my mind open, right? Like, I always think back to Instagram and Instagram stories. Like, I didn't use them for a while. I had accounts, but I didn't really use them. But then I did, because then it, like, it found a place in my life for it. So I'm not, like, saying for me oh, I'm never going to use Clubhouse, nor do I care about it. It's kind of just right now, I don't know what I would want it for, but that doesn't mean it's not good. I just don't think it's for me right now. But the main thing I wanted to get across is I don't understand why people have to say that this is now coming after podcasting because I just don't see the line there. Yeah, I, I would say only in the broadest sense, which is people have a limited amount of time in general and a limited time of, to listen to audio in particular. And that is everything competes with everything else in in the broad way and in the narrow way. If you have X amount of audio time, then listening to music, listening to podcasts, listening to Clubhouse, li- listening to the radio listening to audiobooks, that's all in that bucket, and you can't do all of them. And then more broadly, you won't, there's only so many hours in the day. In a more specific way, I agree with you. It feels like a very different medium. It's social conversation. There's a broadcast aspect to it. I, I think in the end, the uh, one of the things that I'm most skeptical of is these live talk shows on Clubhouse, because that to me sounds like early days of television putting a stage show on television, right? Where it's like, that's not what this medium is. This is a social Mm -hmm. medium where people can talk and have conversations and somebody's in there trying to turn it into essentially a call-in show from the radio or or a live podcast stream like the one we do. And is that Clubhouse to have an audience on an exclusive service that you have to give them your information and set up an account and then you can go in and you can listen to a bunch of other people talking live. Like, is that disruptive in any way? Um, I would say no. I would say that there's probably something really interesting about making this an easy to use way to listen to live audio because we know that's hard. Like we do a live stream for this podcast, but a fraction, a tiny fraction of our listeners listen live and we love them. Yeah, And nor would we want to bring this to Clubhouse because then we're not using Clubhouse for what Clubhouse is for, which is having right. If we did this podcast on Clubhouse. And didn't have, if we did this podcast in Clubhouse and didn't have other people talking about it, if we didn't turn it into a phone in show, then it's not Clubhouse, right? It's just a podcast stuck on Clubhouse, which I, I would think is bad, right? Like, I, I don't think that's using what it's, that would be us trying to change it into something that it's not. Um, what it is, is it viable or not? It's hard to tell. Honestly, it's kind of hard for me to, to see right now through the haze that is the stink that is caused by the worst in tech industry bro culture, which is coming off a clubhouse in waves. Like it feels very much like we've, we've disrupted Silicon Valley's disrupted the world with clubhouse. And then you look at it and you're like, Oh, it's talk radio. I see. Or, Oh, it's discord. It's literally discord, except this company owns it and owns your information instead of, you signing up for discord. So I, I have a great deal of skepticism for how clubhouse has emerged because I feel like some, to some degree it is, um, it is tech industry hype <laughs> and what's the reality of it. And if there's something there, 
what is it? And and it strikes me that as as a place, a social graph for live conversations, it seems interesting to me. As a like Lex said, you know, a party, right? A party is not a play, and Clubhouse is not a podcast. It's different, and they serve different purposes. And I don't think plays are going to kill parties, and I don't think parties are going to kill plays. You use them for different things. If a play and a party are going on at the same time, you have to choose which one you want to go to. That's always going to be the case. You Mm -hmm. only have a limited amount of time. But looking at Clubhouse, I, you know, setting my skepticism aside, I feel like the whole thing that it enables is for people to have to to be part of a conversation. And that's a very different thing um, than what we do on a podcast. Like, but again, it's like is a very valid thing of its own. Yeah, and it seems like it's really yeah. gaining traction in a lot of communities now. Like, it was in this like weird beta. <laughs> I mean, like at the moment, right? But what I'll get back to in a second. Like, the beta is all very VCE. But it seems like you know I yes. log in and I look at what's happening, and it seems like there's lots of different types of communities that are using Clubhouse now. But for me, right now, it feels like a fad. Now, all things that are new feel like fads and then they catch on and this one may catch on but right now it still feels fad like to me um and uh, i'm happy to for it to continue i don't need to be right or wrong i'm not saying it is a fad i just get that feeling from it it's very buzzy right now but i'm not i'm not sure this attaches in the long term like a like something like a instagram i i'm just not sure about this as a as a long-term medium that people will keep wanting to consume and continue yeah, to I, to want to create in. my my skepticism is also because i i have at least not yet witnessed what the the secret sauce is hi mike um that makes clubhouse more powerful than literally every other tool that exists that does voice conversations is it the social layer because you've been able to open up chat rooms and even audio chat rooms for a very long time so is it just that they've made it uh, easier to connect it's people easy. socially it's and really easier easy. to easier to jump in yeah but is it is that enough that it becomes the only one because there's the feature argument too which is if this is if all they're doing is putting a nicer interface on that, then literally every other social media um, will copy it. And that's going to be hard for them. But I also will say, what is there? Are we transforming into a world where, boy, in the 2020s, what people are really going to be doing is jumping in uh, audio chat rooms and waiting their turn to have conversations with other people? Maybe, but that's been available on the internet for a while now and people do use it Uh, is this different enough that this is the thing that makes it catch fire maybe it is i don't know as you said um it doesn't intersect with my interests either yeah i i'm on the record i actually found it uh when when larry king died i found this article that i wrote about larry king's show on cnn like 20 years ago that basically was me explaining, I hate call-in shows. 
I hate them. I hate them. As a viewer, as a listener, I hate them. I don't really want to hear the random people on the phone. I, I, you know, I tune into an interview show to hear the interview and then they're like, let's take some calls. And I tune out. I'm not interested in the calls. I'm just not. Sorry. Not. So, and that other people are, and that's fine. But like, there's, it's got a whiff of uh, the Colin show on here. It doesn't really work for me, but as a social medium where people get to step up to the mic and talk. And if that is content that is good and that people really like being a part of it when they're listening and also when they're talking, then there might be something here. I do wonder if, if it's the social media glue and the easy interface, that's the thing that this isn't just going to get knocked off, like literally everywhere. And there won't be anything left on clubhouse, but um, you know, I'm open to it. I, I never want to be somebody who looks at, um, something new that comes along and say, oh, well, that's dumb. But Clubhouse is something that I look at with a great deal of skepticism because I'm not entirely convinced that this is something that a lot of people want, that they can do in a sort of a unique way. And in terms of the original question, which is about the evolution of podcasting, I, I, I come back to that same thing, which is if they can solve things that make it hard for people to listen to podcasts that are that stream live and give feedback if they can make it easier for podcasts to bring on listeners to ask questions live and stuff like that and then archive it so because most people don't want to listen live they want to listen later live is a very narrow thing and then it's gone like if they can solve a bunch of those problems could it become like a way better way to do live podcasting than uh currently exists yeah, sure. There's a lot of possibility there, but a lot of people um, that have I got a lot of skepticism. Clubhouses are going to turn their clubhouses into podcasts, and because that's oh, for sure the the medium, it's the method, is how you get right. a larger and, audience and, that way. And that would be my argument about the people who are doing Clubhouse as a talk show, um, ultimately doing it wrong, because that sounds like they're basically importing something from another medium into this, and then potentially in order to monetize it, exporting it back out to where it should have been. And that's uh, not great. Brandon asks, do you think Apple ever ramp up the tactility of macOS with the tactic engine like they have on the iPhone? All of the little bits of contextual feedback are one of my favorite details of the iPhone, and I can't help but hope it arrives as part of future M-series hardware refreshes. I don't think this will happen because I think Apple already tried this on the, the uh, on the trackpad and nobody really uses it and it's not very good. Mm. And I think part of it is that it's indirect input instead of direct input. And although they did the thing where you like you're dragging over something and you get a little buzz on the trackpad, um, it's not the same as when you're using your hands on the screen. It doesn't. There's something about the indirectness of it that I think doesn't really translate. It's like a hand-eye coordination thing, maybe. Yeah, I feel like it's more likely that they're just going to remove a bunch of the vibration stuff um, from the trackpad and leave it. I mean, it does have the fake click. The fake click is a vibration, so there is that in there. But I, I don't do the fake audio click, but the the buzz when you when you click is... Well, that, is I turned off the fake audio click after last week's yes. show. There, but it still does a little quick 
vibration. Yeah, I love that. That is the click because it's not actually clicking. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that until you said that because my initial thought was like, yeah, I mean, I really love the, the tactic stuff too. I would love to have more of that in the Mac. But you're right. I think what makes it nice is that it feels like I'm seeing a thing happening under my finger. Like that's how it feels. Like I'm moving the switch. I can see my finger move the switch and my finger feels the switch moving. Yeah. I don't feel as connected to the pointer on my screen, right? Like a, no. it's yeah, interesting. Maybe it's just, just look like a fake finger, right? That's what we all want. No, don't do that. Um, I, interesting. I, yeah. So I'm, I'm skeptical that that will happen um, because of that, because it's indirect and I don't think the effect works that well. And although I like the Taptic Engine stuff on the iPhone a lot, mm. I'm not sure. I mean, because I've tried it. I've tried it with like Logic and GarageBand and stuff on the Mac, and it's just, it just doesn't work for me. It just doesn't. Maybe it could be implemented then better, but my, my feeling is like they built that in already to the Magic Trackpad, and it doesn't. Nobody cares. If you'd like to send in a question for us to answer on the show, just send in a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or use question mark AskUpgrade in the RelayFM members Discord, which you should get access to if you become a member and support this show. Go to GetUpgradePlus.com and you will get longer episodes of Upgrade every single week with no ads if you uh, sign up for Upgrade Plus. If you have already, thank you so, so much for your support. If you'd like to check it out, find out more, go to GetUpgradePlus.com. I would like to thank Squarespace, Literati Kids, and LinkedIn Jobs for their support of this week's episode. If you'd like to find uh, links and stuff like that, they should be in your podcast app of choice. But if not, you can find them on the web at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 340. If you'd like to find Jason online, you can go to sixcolors.com, and he is at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L. And I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Upgrade, and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, Mike Curley. Goodbye.